What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? This is Rick's Mind, and I'm I'm your host, Rick Brooks. So, as always, on my mind, I'm constantly thinking about music, so I had to go and find a composer by the name of Dana Reason. Dana, thanks for being uh, on Rick's Mind. Oh, well, my greatest pleasure. Thanks so much to be on here. <laughs> oh, no worries. I'm happy to have you. So, I one of the first questions... Uh, as a creative person that I always like to ask my fellow creative colleagues is kind of how did you get into music? Like what, what about it? Was it something that your parents put a piano, put you in front of a piano and said play, or is it something you gravitated to gravitated toward naturally? Yeah. Well, great question. Um, well, you can cut me off short. I like cut me off anytime, but Maybe I was dropped on my head first. And then I was, um, my dad had bought my mom a uh, upright piano because it's something she had always wanted. And uh, my mom had grown up extremely, extremely, extremely poor, an immigrant family from the Czech Republic. And I mean, we're talking super poor, like, like the family built brick by brick their house, you know, that kind of thing. They lived off the land, um, their food right there, just outside Toronto, Canada. And, and so everything, I think my mom had one pair of shoes for the year. So she had always wanted to be able to play music. And so my dad bought her this piano, which was a lot to try to pull off. Like, let me mm -hmm. be clear on that. And so my mom, um, started piano lessons, but you know, you can't have piano lessons and childcare at the same time because when you don't have a lot of cash flow. So she would bring me to her piano lessons and I was like two and a half years old and I would sit and play at the lessons on the floor by her getting her piano lesson. And then I guess the story is my mom says, well, she'd come back home from the lesson and I'd go to the piano acting like, yeah, like yeah, this is how it goes. And so she quickly realized like, oh my goodness, like this kid like is playing music like they had that lesson or something, you know? And so that's, that's how it started. My mom um, quickly tried to find um, someone to help teach me. Um, but you, it's hard to find someone that's going to teach like a really like pretty active two and a half year old, three year old person. And um, so finally my mom, was able to find, cause my mom didn't know, my mom didn't know how music would work. Like would I just play the music by myself on the piano. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. She, didn't, she had no like understanding. And I got to say I'm adopted. So she doesn't even know where this music's coming from. Right. So okay. like mom's got like this kid who comes to her piano lesson and then all of a sudden plays the piano and plays the stuff from her lesson at home. Like mom's like, what, you know? So I got to give my mom super credit for, like one noticing that it wasn't just, I mean, I obviously was playing, but my mom kind of took notice, you know, that wasn't her training. It wasn't her experience. Nothing like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, she found, she got me some piano lessons. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's all. So I actually want to go back. Yeah. How, old were, how old were you when you were adopted? I was adopted just like six weeks into life. I was at like this, the funny thing is I was in this, what do they call it? Um, well, it's in Canada. So you're, they had this big house and you had all these like cribs apparently. And it was like, come pick a baby. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> had a baby syndrome. I don't know. But um, anyway, so that, so you, you're put in this foster moment as a baby and then someone gets noticed that there's a baby for adoption. I, so, the, reason, the reason I ask is I too have that in common with you. I was adopted. Yeah. Well, how yeah, old you? I, I was three months old when wow. I was adopted. And I'm no. the, uh, was there, was, did you have a big family? No, no, I, I, no. I had another brother adopted as well. Yeah, I'm the, the youngest of 14. What? Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Well, my, well, my mom's, sister had eight kids so okay my sister wow. was like born in the czech republic and lived there and then came to canada and and had eight children so i thought eight was a lot but 14 okay you got me you oh my gosh what was that like uh well so <laughs> you got to think about it. it was two two separate families right you have my mom 
was married and prior like to her first husband he died of a brain brain aneurysm she had five kids my dad got divorced they got together raised a bunch of kids my mom's a maniac and she was like i want to start adopting special needs kids from india and they got uh shamali kara and terry um who were from east india and then they started fostering kids and every kid that they fostered they would adopt and then i was born in texas and um, I was in the foster system at three months, and I was. Wow. I think the story goes: I was adopted by a, a, a woman in Portland, and she thought that I had, um, I had was a drug baby, which is not true. I just she was never home. I think she was a lawyer or something. Wow. And so my mom put me in a front pack, yeah, and just bonded with me, and wow. I stopped crying. And they're like, "We're gonna place him," and she's like, "Not a fucking chance, right? Like this is my son." And that's how I I came into existence. So wow. I think it's it's kind of trippy to think that you know my life would have been probably not as good had I not had my parents. So very close with my parents. So wow. I, I love your story, and your parents must be just really super special people. Wow, they're nuts. Well, I love that. Like, yeah, I mean, wow. Um, yeah, deep respect, right? Coming at you for all this, and wow. So yeah, person too. Now, yeah, yeah it's, it was it was cool. I would say that like being raised in an environment like a multi-racial family. I've um, Asian, East Indian, Black, White, like just like under like growing up like that. Wow. really formed me and also uh, people of different abilities like uh, my sister Shamali is blind and, and Kara is, is autistic and, and Terry is developmentally disabled like being around those all those types of human beings has really shaped me in a very positive way and there's a lot of things that happen in the world that like I don't understand because I come from this giant family of love like I didn't know you know like just it was it's kind of bizarre to look at the state of the world and kind of look at like the environment that I come from and I'm like well I don't see what's what's going on why doesn't anyone want to talk to each other why does everyone look at like look to get offended and and whatnot I, I did none of these things make sense to me so you know this this podcast is me trying to make sense of the world through conversation and dialogue right yeah um, so. But one of the things, uh, enough about me. This is all about you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got, I'm, I'm just, I'll be, I'm right here. I'm right with you. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you because I do not understand this. This project, I believe, called Translation, where you took data from a researcher uh, on, I think it's, what is it, Bartholomew, and it was on salmon. And did, did you, create music from the data that he collected from salmon or how did, how did that work? Yeah. Um, so you're talking about Dr. Jerry Bartholomew who yeah. is a microbiologist and also, um, a, well, what is she? She's a glass worker. Um, and she's at Oregon state. And so, um, Jerry was doing a project, um, around, uh, microorganisms, that's her specialty, and, and microorganisms in the salmon population. And we got to talking because I'd been, be, prior to talking with her, I was working on the side with DJ Spooky, uh, Paul okay. Miller. And Paul Miller was getting, he had, he had brought his project of um, ice to Corvallis. And in that project, he had already been working with the idea of data translations. So mm -hmm. um, Paul Miller always works with scientists and artificial intelligence and computer scientists. And he's sort of a, he's just a, a leading explorer in, in kind of these um, transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary ways of thinking. And so he's always looking for new mechanisms. And so, you know, having him thinking about that I was talking to Jerry, well, you know, what would it be like if we could just get your data set and start to think about um, how that becomes music? And this isn't my idea or anything. There, you know, as early, you know, people have been trying to think about data and 
you know, we have a, a, a professor that's an emeritus professor here, Michael Kulin, who wrote a piece of music based on pi. And it's all he was working with a mathematician. So, you know, the, the notion of music and mathematics, it, it goes way back, right? To like we think about Pythagoras and well, after all, you know, music is physics, really, right? I mean, yeah. sound is physics and and so on. I think of personally, I think of music as the curation of sound. So that's like got its own set of biases, operational biases and cultural and historical, as we all know, um, or don't know, maybe. Um, so with Jerry, it was just an opportunity to start to think about, you know, can you just read those, you know, those X, Y axes? And I wanted to use the Georgia Tech um, sonification program. Because I'm not a computer scientist and word on the street is you don't have to be a computer scientist to play around with data. Just FYI, if you've got Excel spreadsheet, you could probably do your thing. So just so you know that. So I want to demystify who gets to do what with what. Yeah. It's really important because, you know, kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, but like gatekeepers, you know, there's some gatekeepers and we want to make sure that we understand what that might mean and the politics of gatekeeping and who gets to own a territory or something like that, or a system of knowledge or, um, that kind of thing. But anyway, so I, um, I contacted Dave Mellinger to oversee the translations because what Dr. Bartholomew gave us is she had little snippets. She had the data tables, but she had snippets of video and the video had to be translated to the data tables. Okay. But those sets of numbers could then translate once you put them in an octave, once you translate those, you can, you can have a, you can have an arbitrary set of pitches that are coming from that. Right. So I'm making this sound like super complicated. It's not, it's like, imagine this. Um, I'm just translating something from one medium to the next. So her visuals become the data. The data becomes the sound. Next thing you know, you get a bunch of pitches. Well, those pitches you have to, you have to one, be a researcher. So if it was, if it was Jerry trying to figure out what the heck those pitches are, like, am mm -hmm. I, um, she might know what seems to be a, a deviance in the pitches, right. Versus like, so say in one of her, uh, videos, they're, they're shooting things outside of itself. So it's like a shooting mechanism that happens. And basically it's like, if you had a skipping rope and you threw it out, and then you're trying to hit someone else. So you have the wet towel, you know, the towel and you try to hit someone with your towel. Yeah. Yes. It's so the, the one, the, the one microorganism is trying to hit with, use the towel to hit the other one or whatever, make contact. And so we were trying to understand that, what, how that would sound. So that can play by itself. So at the end of the day, if you play that by itself, it sounds like a stream of notes. Now that could be for some people, that's music just like that. Or I could then be a curator of those and decide, oh, my favorite passage of this is you know, I could just yeah. like basically take a sample of it and then orchestrate or pull that out and make the piece of music out of that. Does that even make any sense that what I said to you, or are we just, we have more yeah. questions and not no. sure. No, 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 that, that, that does make sense. You're, you're pulling, you're curating, you're, you're taking a giant data set uh, of of there's videos of these these microbes right doing yeah. things. You're figuring out the pitch that that they do that right in. You're, you're translating it and then you're playing it. You're and you're taking samples of things that that spark interest and you're trying to put it together to make something beautiful out of that. Correct. Yes. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be contentious to some people, or it could be many, many things, but yes, exactly. Like, so you could go two ways with this and people do using data sets. Um, there's a whole um, mechanism of, of thinking about translation. Um, like groups of people get together and, and think about, I think it's called ICAD, I-C-A-D. And basically they translate this, um, so you could go two ways. I could just figure out what happened in her data set and play it and not touch any of those sounds, right? And that's just playing what the visual component was now from the data set, now into a set of pitches mm -hmm. and leave that, like leave the science alone, quote unquote. 
for the scientists to kind of mine through that and find out if it could potentially reveal something about what she discovered under the microscope to get those micro or I could have take artistic license. Right. So sometimes like in this piece, I did both. I left components of the, of the actual data set as is. So it's just playing. And I, 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 I can't remember. I just used like a simple sound. It was, um, I can't even remember just nothing fancy. You know, I don't, I don't go fancy with the technology. That's not my way of doing things. I just, I like to work as a musician mostly that utilizes these things to get mm-hmm. me to another place. You know what I mean? Yes. Like for the tool to get to this other place. It's not the thing. I just need it to help me get over here, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do. So, yeah. So then, you know, becoming a creative with that, with the data set is, is also the thing that I have. So sometimes I have it simultaneously. So one is the representation and, and then kind of pivoting over top of that is me unpacking that as an artist and thinking about it in a, in an interesting and compelling way. Um, does that make sense? It's, it does make sense. And I also wanted to say, where could our, because we're going to have people listening to this, where could they find this, this microbial symphony of excellence? Um, you might, I don't know if I have that one out because that one had to have some reworking. Um, but since, since that one, I've got some other ways I've worked with, with some data sets. Okay. So I, you know, I can, um, pull something together and I, I'd love to share. And, you know, I think about my work is, is a lot of it is around process, you know, like for me, uh, a work finishes, it's an arbitrary stopping point, like calling something done. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Well, a done could mean the due date was yesterday and that means it's done and you turned it in and it's done. Or it's like, you're working on something and you go, you know, for now, I'm just going to cut it off right here. That's enough of that for now. But for me, I'm always kind of reworking and rethinking, you know, like minding my own stuff. And then, and I'm having maybe a new understanding of something or a new way of thinking about the expression of it or, a new emotional evocative point to go through, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. But well, what, how did you get interested in, in pulling things out of data sets and creating music? Well, I think that this, this goes way be way earlier where I I've always been making things up, you know, like people call it improvisation. Yeah. You rapping. I, I don't rap, uh, I love <laughs> rap, but I don't, I'm not a rapper, but oh boy, can I appreciate, um, you know, some, uh, some good stuff. Um, I was just thinking like Eric B and Rakeem or something like that, you know, paid in full. Yeah. Um, I like to go back to the classics, but what I mean is that, you know, well, we could think about hip hop and, and the notion of pulling, of making something from nothing. Right. So yeah. the idea of you don't have to have all these fancy ways of getting at knowledge. You can just be living your life and starting to express or articulate, you know, the honesty, the, the ways that you're living and being yeah. right. You find a way to, to move those expressions. So go, if we were going to go back to my early roots, like with the piano lesson moment where I would make things up like from the day one on the piano, like just go there and like riff and make things up. And of course, very early on, they, they channel you to, to stop making up things when you're having a piano lesson and start paying attention to someone else's making things up and, but they put it on paper. Right. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you're like defaulting, like your own making up things to like someone else's making up things. Yeah. So I like, I have like real mixed feelings about that. Sometimes I'm a little feeling contentious about that. Meaning for me, orality, the hearing things, we're learning from each other. And if yeah. you have a musical inclination to express yourself through music, right, then that's what you do. And, and, and everyone's musical, in my opinion, right? We all have, we all have a, a need to express. It's, it's sort of within us, right? Some people get that taken out of them early on. And some people get that really shaped and kind of edited too early. So here's the thing is that I had this amazing teacher, Mrs. O'Hagan and Mrs. O'Hagan recognized that I didn't really want to be reading the music, you know, like 
I'm three. I really am three. I'm, I, there's, it's no joke. I'm three. So making a three-year-old look at a piece of music and, and like, and then you're the tediousness of there's five lines and you're trying to like, right. You're just, I'm just, I'm not even reading like alphabets. Right. I'm not reading yeah, exactly. like words yet. Right. I'm just, and so now I'm like decoding these symbols Maybe this is where it comes. I'm discovering where my notion of decoding comes, but it's like I'm decoding these symbols and I'd say, well, why don't you play it first? So she'd play it for me. And then I would just like, I'm like a record, like, you know, press record in my brain. I hear mm -hmm. her play her thing. Boom, I could play my thing back, right? So I, I would, you know, get her to you just can play by ear. That's a very rare talent to be able to listen to something and then play it back. That's I think a lot thing. of people play by ear. I'm not going to say that's a tell. No. <laughs> mm -mm. I think it's dope. I don't know. You you do? Um, I think that there's so many musical people that, in fact, could I just say to this, that is it more than 95% of the world's cultures learn music by ear? Didn't know that. Look it's at that. Oral, like it's mostly oral traditions. Mm -hmm. Well, that actually kind of makes sense if you think about it. We're all we all descend from oral traditions, right? Like if you look at the world's religions, that the, they were passed down orally through fables and songs, and then eventually written down. So that there is something to that, right? It's like it's like we really we derive more meaning from the written word than we do from video. And if you don't believe me, would you rather have, would you rather have someone tell you you have a college degree or tell you you have that they're going to pay you this much money? Or would you rather see a fucking written check? You know, I have to think about that right there. Like <laughs> you said a lot of things there that I'm thinking about. Um, yeah. I think, I think maybe we're saying, yeah, we're saying similar things where, you know, um, coming back to the oral tradition, I think that the, the good thing with this teacher that I had is that she recognized that that was living within me, that, that sort of mechanism of getting to the music was mm -hmm. really alive in me. So I want to say like, that was amazing for her to do that. And she played games she played games for me to think about. So how I might enjoy making things up more. Right. So this, this occurred when you were three years old yeah. and you still vividly remember that. Yes, because I remember the feeling in my stomach of having, of, of when we would do too much of the trying to read the notes on the page, mm -hmm. like physically, like we all know what frustration feels like, right? Like in the pit of your stomach, you're like, Oh my gosh, please stop. Like me with algebra, like, please stop. Please don't make me do any more. I can barely add that stuff. It's just not in, it's not my wheelhouse. And I'm cool with that. I've made friends with, there are certain things that are just not in my wheelhouse. Right. Yeah. So yeah. That, I, you know, the body doesn't lie. Right. My body remembers the feeling of frustration of when Mrs. O'Hagan would try to get me to read those notes. Case in point, of course, I ended up reading those notes because I went through the Toronto Conservatory and basically ended up having essentially an associate's degree by the time I was 15 years old from the performance side. I, I didn't actually finish out the theory side, but basically I'd done everything that you would mm -hmm. do your first two years of community college in music by the time I was 15, right? Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the line, I made friends with like the reading of the music. Yeah. But at the same time, the the making up was always the thing. In fact, it was one of my favorite things to do. So say my parents were like, you know, how it happens. Parents can kind of be, you know, set you off, I guess sometimes. Right. <laughs> um, and so I would go back to the piano and I pretend that I had a new piece of music to learn. And I was just like, okay, imagine two forearms like on the front of your piano, like, like, <laughs> like I'm making a percussion instrument. Yeah. And banging the hell like all of a sudden like now the piano keys are a drum and i'm like using my fist like a drum on the piano and then they would be like oh my gosh what is that that's not like mozart over there you know kind of thing <laughs> yeah. i'm like no, a new piece of music i'm making and i'd be just like totally dealing with my feelings right like totally angry <laughs> i might even say piss because we're allowed to on this show but like in my anger, I'd make up like these gnarly, like probably like the data sets. Data sets aren't like beautiful. They're like, you know, yeah. like chaotic pieces of like, they're chaos, right? So 
un, they seem very unorganized. I'm sure there's an organizational pattern and we could find that if I was like, uh, I don't know if I was, I don't know, someone who did a lot of mathematics, I could probably find and find a nice pattern in that. Right. Um, so yeah, so the making was always part of it, but I had to legitimize my ability to make through another lens, like, and I would fake it like, Oh no, it's a new piece of music. I'm learning. Ha ha ha. And then it's all gnarly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I would interrupt my own sense of, I wasn't allowed to own the sense that I was actually probably really a composer since get go of being three years old. I think I've mm -hmm. been a composer my entire life. It just so happens that when you're a female and you're on the piano, there's a whole, whole thing. Uh, I'll say white female on the piano. Right. And say, white female on the piano representing piano represents something like, Oh, this is an educated person learning how to play piano. Right. There's a mm -hmm. whole history of that. Like 19th century, the, the girls had to learn piano to look like they were be, you know, they're good, good marrying material. Yeah. Like that quality, quality <laughs> candidate for marriage. She, she can play some Scarlatti on the piano, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's that, you know, do you, do you, when, when, what age did you feel comfortable wearing the hat of a composer? Oh, uh, like last year. No. <laughs> why do you think why do you why do you think it took why do you think it took so long for you to feel comfortable to fulfill your destiny? Well, it was about a label, actually. So, you know, I went so I so I did composition actually in college, right? But mm -hmm. I still always this piano player you know what I mean I was like I was pretty mad piano player there's no question I was like really doing that thing and but I was also really doing improvisation and playing like gigs improvising with different like in the jazz sensibility right kind of yeah. thing you know um and I think it's still it was still a difficult thing for me to have ownership over you know, what I could get into the feminist side of things and that I don't want to like upset anyone. I'm so grateful to be here with y'all. This, this is a marketplace of ideas. So get into it. <laughs> well, um, as a marketplace of ideas, you know, you become with what you become the things that you've seen modeled for you. So as um, a young girl learning the piano, I don't think I ever played a female composer, my entire training. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if I'm in, I'm entrusting that the, the, the people imparting knowledge to me must understand the full scope of what music may or may not be. Then I wasn't, you know, subconsciously, I never knew that that existed. Like that women were really making music as composers. Like we were just interpreting. So there was, so there was like a, a lot of, maybe internal tension for me. Like, well, the real, the real musician is the Dana reason that's playing the music of somebody else's like, you know, Prokofiev, or I'm, I'm learning a, a complicated sonata, you know, in the Western art music tradition. And that validates that I have some technical skills and maybe some emotional currency in this and some understanding about this music. It legitimizes me. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like female Dana playing someone else's music as legit. Yeah. Um, and then, but again, you, you, so when I would improvise, which I'd always make a lot of sketches on that, I was just thinking that I'm just making in real time, you know, cause the immediacy was what mattered to me. Similarly, the immediacy, when I'm reading someone's notes, get back, back to the three-year-old Dana that understands how frustrated my body was to like, just like, you know, tediously, go through and, and learn these notes and stuff. And, and maybe it's a lot easier for a lot of other people. I just wasn't maybe willing. It was easy for me, but I wasn't willing maybe, but I, you know, I, I learned them. So I'm trying to say that the immediacy of getting to the music is what's always mattered to me. Reading someone else's music takes time to learn. What if I have facility because I, I I'm sort of wired to play the instrument I'm just wired that way. Like I just wired to like blow, like just get on the instrument and just like crack it open. It's wired. It's called training. And I, and I've done a lot of playing. Mm -hmm. And um, so the immediacy of making music up in real time, which most of the world does, most of our 
uh, the music, the pop music, everything, film music, it's all in real time. It's like yeah. someone improvising. And then, then they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Now, of course, with your MIDI keyboard, it's like, it's the best. It's so amazing. It's so freeing for me because like I can just put it, if I want to click track or not, put my MIDI keyboard on, boom, 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 play something. And then I edit after. Saves yeah. me so much time. So I didn't really like the time suck of like, well, I played this music. Now I played this chord. Now I got to notate that chord or vice versa, right? Learning someone yeah. else's music. Um, so I guess all to say is that there's there's been sort of an internalized tension. You know, there's the reader of the music. There's a person who plays real-time music. There's a person of me that loves real-time. I love to hear great improvisers like John Coltrane's one of my all-time mm -hmm. favorite. Thaddeus Monk. The Thelonious Monk. I mean, yeah. Thelonious, Look, Thaddeus, Thelonious. Thank you. Thank you, Thelonious. Thank you so Thaddeus. Much. Huh? Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I mean, Thelonious Monk put the body back into the music, didn't he? I mean, yeah. you know, a little dance and then he plays you some little chink, chink, and then he just like dances around and comes back. I mean, mm -hmm. deconstructing the ways in which we absorb who gets to be music and who doesn't get to be music or how do we get to the music? Again, super political. Um, and, you know, I've always been someone who likes to, after having bared witness to the ways that I was educated and had to have this relationship with myself vis-a-vis -vis my education of becoming in music. And then I had to deconstruct it a lot. So I went, I did go get a composition degree for my master's degree in Oakland, California at Mills College. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I went, I went to this festival in Quebec. I was in Montreal mm -hmm. and it's a, it's an improvised music festival. It's like very highly experimental, but it's got everybody, you know, like everybody like Thurston Moore. It's got a nice mix between kind of the downtown New York scene or some of the Europeans that are mm -hmm. really crunchy with the improvisation and, and so on. And one of the teachers that was at Mills college was there, Chris Brown and not Chris Brown, like Chris Brown, mm -hmm. uh, not, like not today's Chris Brown, a different kind of today's Chris Brown. So Chris Brown, is a computer musician. So he's a computer music maker and also a piano player and composer. So he's got the whole thing going on. So they had an improvised, they had a trio or quartet playing. And I just went backstage at the end and I said, Hey, Chris, like I'm interested in thinking about Mills college because you guys actually talk about improvisation and no schools in Canada at that time. were talking about improvisation. So we're talking the nineties. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't get a degree in thinking about being coming a composer in that way. Um, so I actually came to the United States for those for two reasons. Because one, I just love uh, the music, a lot of the popular music out of um, America, and I wanted to be around it more. And also, you couldn't really study improvised music forms in Canada. So that was happening at Mills College in Oakland, and I could get a degree as a composer working in real-time composition. And a lot of these folks were at the at the beginning of kind of computer music too, working on, you know, not mainframe computers, just like desktop computers and 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 making laptop music, right? Yeah. Which is again letting algorithms go crazy, right? It's like yeah. it's fun to not always be in control of your materials, maybe. That's well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're getting to the point where there, there's computers that are writing full-on symphonies right now. Right, right. Which with is, which is intelligence, yeah. Yeah, with AI. It's absolutely crazy. So, I mean, that and that just kind of, we won't get into robots on this show. We will on another one, but men robots scare the shit out of me. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. You're really kind of on the ground room floor of the evolution of that. So that's awesome. So anyways, you're in Oakland. Sorry to interrupt. No, no. You tell me what, like, should we go on go on this tangent? Should we do something different? What do you want no, me to we're do? Gonna, we're going to continue to go on this tangent. We're just letting you talk. Oh. This is tree flow, and I love it. <laughs> well, I should say to you that um, since we talked about artificial intelligence, I ended up after Mills College because people were working with computers in the beginning of thinking about computers that improvise, right? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up uh, working, actually went down to UC San Diego after Mills to work with uh, one, one of the early musicians, George Lewis, 
who had been working on intelligent music systems. Um, and he had developed a computer system and a, and a piece of music called Voyager mm -hmm. that improvises with live musicians. So, no shit. Yeah, it's called Voyager. Voyager. And George Lewis, I ended up actually, that piece of music's been around for a while now. And George created that algorithm and that way of thinking at a place called Earcom in Paris, France. And um, George is also uh, like a an insane trombone player and grew up in Chicago. And so long story short, I ended up going down to study with George Lewis at UC San Diego. But more recently, maybe... I don't know how many years ago it was now feels like a minute ago, five years ago or more. I ended up playing uh, in San Francisco at a festival where George Lewis's kind of new and improved Voyager system was set up. And it was me with an oboist, Kyle Bruckman. And we, we basically, it's almost like you're battling the computer. So yeah. both of us, I'm on a um, disc clavier piano so my notes are coming in and then it goes into the computer mm -hmm. and George is working with an, another person with, so there's like two computers, myself and uh, oboist. So we're feeding the computer. What is, what is an oboist? Someone, um, oboe, it's like, um, it's like a symphony, um, instrument. It's like a, a woodwind. It's a reed instrument. Okay. Like you've heard it a million times. Like, um, oh, you probably could feel like, in a James Cameron score, you could hear the oboe, you know, you watch a James Cameron feeling like an oboe shows up or something like that in the film score, you know? Oh, I know. I see. Okay. DeMarco just sent me a, uh, you got it. Yeah. He sent me it. I I've seen that before. Thank you. you I, we could just be playing oboe behind me while we talk about this <laughs> section. <laughs> anyway, Kyle Bruckman is like, like a, like a mean oboe player in the Bay area, <laughs> Oakland area. And so it's him and I playing against these computers. Okay. And the system, I don't know, did they have 12 speakers in this hall? So, so I'm inputting information. I'm playing real time and making things up. Then the computer's responding to us and shooting back symphonic full on symphony reiterations and, and, and algorithms that are different than what we did. And then I'm responding to the computer. And so is Kyle, right? Yeah. And so I have to say to you that my brain was literally changed after doing that performance. Meaning when I would go to improvise in the future, I would say, well, geez, what would the computer do here? Like, how would the computer improvise back to me? Not yeah. like a human, but I couldn't quite understand the mechanism of the ways in which the computer was talking to me. It was like becoming, the, it was an, like this intelligence too, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it was changing how I was going to respond. You know, you can hear recordings of the Voyager online with like, um, you know, different, different artists. Vijay Iyer is one of the piano players. I think I saw him playing with George's Voyager on a, in a concert. Um, so anyway, so making something up from nothing doesn't mean that you always start from scratch. It means that over time, you know, your system has, has mechanisms and ways of handling information in, right? So the more information in, that's why I like to talk to students about like, let's make sure we listen to lots of different things because your, your brain is like, you know, cogitating in the background and putting fragments of information together and putting bits of information together in new ways. It's like new algorithms are always happening. So you don't want to have this, you don't want to have a limited algorithm. You want to have the possibilities to be so wild that you can just come in and, you know, download oh, whatever you I want. Know my favorite thing, actually, now that you said this, because I think this is very, very important um, to listen to all different types of music. I listen to everything, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, from death metal to Neil Young to jazz to just on a wide spectrum of music. Right. And my favorite thing about that, and I've probably told this story a bunch on the podcast, but is to, when you start finding like, especially in rap, the samples of these, like Kid Cudi sampled Bob Dylan's Lay Lady Lay. And just, you're like, wow, this, this guy's listened to everything too. And he took 
bits and pieces of artists he enjoyed and you can hear the influences on them if you know if you if you listen if you're a student of music right if you've l listened to a ton you could see where people borrow and steal and you know that you, it, it almost tells you a little bit about the artist like oh this guy grew up listening to george clinton a lot of george clinton in his life <laughs> or, um I, and i find that fascinating so i'm, I'm glad i'm glad as a teacher of the new the fresh minds of america you're encouraging them to listen <laughs> all, all different types of music that's good yeah well well you know like the crate diggers you know we're always looking for the best part of the record right mm -hmm, yeah so you can get that from you know so you want to make sure you have a like a, a vast vinyl collection in your brain right as vast mm -hmm. as you possibly get and then pull that out and, you know, edit that real time. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of that, the, the digging. Have you, have you ever been a, for, for folks that don't know, these are people that uh, like DJs will go through or picking or that's no, digging and they'll dig through records at record stores and they'll play them and they'll sample them. And there's this uh, famous DJ cannot think of his name right now, but he, there was a documentary on this guy just digging through all these, uh, these at an old record store and then he put together an album off of just samples of one hit wonders and stuff like that people you've never heard of mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty profound cool hair or huh is that i'm just wondering if it's like an one that beginning of the early records like grandmaster flash and grandmaster casts and yeah 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 kind of this cool guy's hair. there's a new person uh was is it, it is it madlib cool dj madlib there's a, I don't I, know. I found a documentary called Deep Crates, uh, dedicated uh -huh. to the art of beat digging. That's not that's not the one I'm thinking of. Um, I'll, I could, keep, I'll keep looking. What does it? Yeah, it's I, a mainstream DJ. Uh, okay. Just type in. Uh, oh my god, dude! What? This is gonna drive me nuts. We'll get it. We'll get it. Uh, yeah. We've got we got the best second best Google in the world on it right now. Good. Come for the number. But I actually, while we're, while we're waiting on that, he yeah. needs more to go on than what I've given him. Um, have you ever had times, and I always think of this, uh, Jimi Hendrix live at the Fillmore, I believe. <laughs> when he played Machine Gun, mm -hmm. there was a few notes where I feel like he tapped into <clears throat> the divine. He just left. He left. He was gone. He was I've watched the I've watched the music video like at least a thousand times. Wow. And he just leaves. Like he's gone. His eyes are closed. Maybe they roll back and he's, he's just gone improvising. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. What you think about? Yeah, I think it's happened. But yeah, I hear what you're saying about the the Hendrix moment. I I think that there's sort of a transformation. I mean, when you're trying to you know, you're trying to understand, I'll come back to algorithms, what algorithm lives within you, right? And so for me, Jimi Hendrix kept pushing the envelope, right? It's like, you're just, you're, you're pushing so hard to go to some other place, right? Yeah. Like, there's the moment where you're like working on your stuff, and you're really cognizant of like, it's me and I'm playing. And then there's a switch. Like once you, once you kind of just acquiesce, you're like, it's no longer like this body ego, blah, blah, doing that thing. It's just like, it's almost like a, you're surrendering into the moment. Yeah. Or you're listening like your past. If you're playing with other people, you're listening to what they're doing. And next thing you know, you know, you're riffing with other people. Right. I think I found it's, that documentary, by the way. Uh, yeah. What is it? Scratch. Is Scratch. That yeah. Yeah. With DJ Shadow. That's yeah. the one. Yes, yeah. it's that's my God. I love you. I'm good. Thank at this. you. I'm good at this. Yeah, because because yeah, if you go to DJ Shadow Scratch and he says some pretty profound things in mm -hmm. that documentary about everyone that I, the one thing that stuck with me is the phrase like every one of these cats that are in this basement thought that they were the shit, and he's like, I eventually will be down in this basement too. And someone will be digging through my life's work and sampling it. And I was like, Whoa, mm -hmm. that's crazy. Well, I love how, you know, Dr. Dre talks about it too, is that, you know, that, you know, think about music and music is memory, right? It's like, you know, what were your parents playing at the house when you were growing up? Right. That's like, there's a connection between, you know, what you're a little kid hearing what they're playing. Right. And mm -hmm. that kind of carries you forward. Right. 
And uh, for like Dr. Dre, he was sampling those records that his parents were playing at the house parties. And he would go, I just love that when he talks about, he would just like go up into his room and just listen to these albums over and over again, you know, uh, earth, wind and fire. I mean, he was just like absorbed, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, with those sounds. And that's how he got to know intimately the sounds that were on that record. It's like the record itself becomes its own orchestral moment. You take that right. You you take that right piece of the record and it's something you've pulled out. You something you've really noticed, right? Like the sounds of, of James Brown's drummer, you know, I mean, that's probably the most sampled music that we have. People take the sound of, of the drumming there. And I, I love that close listening. I think for when I'm thinking about the samples of the records coming off, it, it's telling me, but that this absolutely you're, it's an immersive listening experience, right? Like you put the album on from beginning to end and I put on albums like, you know, albums are back now vinyls back but you know listening to a full album and having a transcendental experience i'll go back to john coltrane listening to a full album of john coltrane like you're just like a different being and i think that when you're the performing body like if i'm playing and i'm performing i'm going to go through a metamorphosis too if i if i'm like really in that like i'm super surrendering into that right oh yeah um, so yeah, most definitely. If you, I am a big fan of John Coltrane. It seems like we have a, a very similar taste in, in music. I mean, I think we, I don't know, you might not be on as much on the metal spectrum as I am, but <laughs> I, I, I do love jazz. Um, and it's something I'm kind of, it's, it's, I'm not, a hundred percent in on jazz. I, I've tried to listen to the classics, right? John Coltrane, Thelonious yeah. Monk, uh, Duke Ellington. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I've. There's this girl. Called, I think her name is. Gosh damn, Gabby Garcia. Have you ever heard of her? I don't think I have yet. But now and I have. I would, and I, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I've sent, I've sent. Uh, obviously, Demarco and I just talk about music quite often. Yeah. The song is called The Message, I believe. Uh, I know, DeMarco, can you corroborate that? Am I full of shit? I think I got it right, though. And um, I would would love for you to listen to that and let me know your thoughts. I think she's a genius, and I'm a big fan of it. I'm going to definitely. Are you going to play it for me? Are we going to check it out? I don't know. I don't know if that could work. We, we, We could maybe play a sample. We might get sued, though. Oh yeah, right. We won't do that. So I'll listen on my own time. Yeah, for sure. But it's uh, but I, I and, and one thing I wanted to go back to definitely is I think it's very important to listen to albums too because you there's a story that the artist is trying to tell you. Some the best ones, in my opinion, are trying to tell you a story, and you just you're just much more able to go back and enjoy the experience in the ride of what it is they're trying to create. And that's, I've always, I'm a big, if someone puts it, especially any of the artists I follow, if they put out an album, I sit down, make time and listen to the whole thing. Yeah. I love that. I I think that that's what it's meant. It's like, there's an arc and you're spending time with that person and those thoughts, you know, because music, you know, I do a lot with instrumental music more so than with lyrics. Although lot, two years was it? Oh gosh, time is just falling apart. But two years ago I was at the Montevella jazz festival and um, did a a series called torque songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was me working with a a singer on that. And that was a, that was an amazing experience to do that because I could trust the band to kind of go into these new spaces with these these words places that I wouldn't go because I'm not going to I'm not going to sit at the piano and sing to you even though I sang at the piano when I was little and I used to sing out loud but now that's not, that's you know not something I'm going to do but if you put the words like I did with um, an artist like Holland Andrews who's now based in New York and thus who was singing on this project and she's I think she just dropped some new albums but she's been working out there. And she can just take your material and it just becomes something else. And so giving her the space for it to become something else is great. I, th- I yeah. think it wasn't Gabby Garcia. It's Nubia Garcia. And the song is That's it. Uh, the message continues. 
I was uh, I was close, kind of, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know them. I, I I like Jill Scott's approach. Do you do you guys ever do you ever check out Jill Scott? How the way she kind of works as a as a poet, but then over these kind of beautiful grooves, you get the sense that she's done a lot of listening. You know, um, like the Robert Glasper feel, but she works with Robert Glasper and mm -hmm. um, these kinds of folks. You know. Yeah. So we got some listening. It'd be good. Yeah. I, um, I definitely will check that out. I I'm always looking for new music. That's mm -hmm. like my, one of my biggest hobbies actually is that. Wow. And, um, yeah. So any, anything you want to throw over, you know, we communicate, uh, on the via email all the time. Let me know. I'm always down to listen to <laughs> new music. Exactly. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah we're always trying to develop new ways to think about listening. I mean, Kamasi Washington has been a, a pretty uh, huge person that's influenced me the last couple of years. If you can check him out, he, you can hear him on this, on the Michelle Obama on her documentary. He actually composed, I believe, I don't know if he composed the full documentary score, but they actually used them as a live band at the end at the last moment in, in Michelle's, uh, documentary and he's got yeah i think he's working in la with a lot of the crossover artists that are you know working behind people you know there are a lot of those if you look at like thundercat um i mean he's, he's, probably, he's yeah, thundercats i believe plays in kamasi washington stuff actually i do know who kamasi washington is I, there I, go. I, yeah. I, I, because he's in that same crew right like yes i'm a huge fan there's a few other uh, yeah there's a really dope jazz like fusion scene in la uh right now and has been for the i mean and you also have like bands such as like the internet which i'm not sure if you're oh, familiar yeah. with. i oh, love I them Are you kidding yeah I love that sound i'm like like I told you, I moved to America for the music, right? Yeah. So I'm very, oh yeah, I'm like deep into those sounds. I love it. I yeah, love it's, it's, and they're all, they all know each other. And they're all kind of splitting up and doing their own separate thing. Like Steve, Steve Lacey just put out an album and mm -hmm. um, it's wild. So mm -hmm. that's cool. That is awesome. I am very, that makes me, see, I knew I was going to like you. I told you. You <laughs> we worried. We went a pretty, we went a, a way that took you a minute to get to see what I like to do, but sorry about that. Hey, no apologies. Like it's, it's all part of the process. It's all part of the process. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I, we're, we're just about out of time, mm -hmm. but I really want to thank you for taking the time, sitting down, talking with me and, uh, filling in, filling me in on, uh, how you, got to where you were the journey that's oh, been awesome it was great to talk to you about this I, I discovered some new things about myself with you here so thank you for having me on this i hope we get to talk again oh most definitely most definitely uh and for all you cats listening stay classy and uh, i think we're on the other side of covid so that's awesome thanks for listening love you guys peace <laughs>